Good morning, Weiss Ferry Road. We're so glad you're with us. Come on in and have a seat there. God, we're packed this morning, so y'all kind of make sure you got room for everybody that's, that's rolling in here. Uh, we got visitors from all over the country here today. We're so glad that you chose to be with us, and we pray that you'll hang around a little bit and let us get to know you and make you feel like family, because that's what we are here, right? If you didn't get a, a bulletin, we do have a lot going on. So uh, some guys will be walking down the aisle, wave at them there, and they'll, they'll get you a bulletin so that you can be up to date. A few things we do want to highlight there, and I think we have them on some slides, is next Sunday is Father's Day, and we will be having donuts for dads at 9 o'clock in the Fellowship Center. Ladies, you will have a Bible class in here uh, this is for, uh, for, for the ladies. Also, new season of Heart to Home. Excuse me. A uh, new season of Heart to Home uh, is, is beginning, and so registration and sign up for that will begin next uh, Sunday as well. We also want to offer congratulations to Ryan and Erica Fulford on the birth of their son, Bryson James, yesterday. So congratulations to them. And the church keeps growing for sure. With that, we're so glad that you have chosen to be with us, and we pray today is an inspiration not only to you, but also a worship and praise to our God, whom all the glory goes to. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for just a wonderful, wonderful uh, day to be here. Thank you for the glory of what it was to see the sun rise this morning and to breathe breath into our, into our nostrils and to, to live this day for you. And we know that there are some hurting folks out there. Uh, as well and because of loss and and for some it's just not a great day so we pray father that uh, that your spirit that lives within them will comfort them and give them the peace that they need father for those of us who are here we pray that we uh, feel what it is to be part of your kingdom to be part of your family as we honor and worship you it's through your son jesus we pray amen Atley and Grayson Wilson, if you would bring your family down here along with our elders, if they would join us, got ourselves a baby blessing this morning.
for those that may not be familiar, we, we do baby blessings around here, and we uh, really it's a blessing not only for the new ones, but for the whole family. And our church, uh, our church family knows that it, to uh, really raise up these kids in the Lord, it takes the whole church, doesn't it? And we want to uh, commit to you guys as, as members of this church family. We're, we're in it with you, okay? We love you. We love your family. We are proud that you're here. Uh, and it all starts with the Word of God. And so we want to present these Bibles uh, to uh, Atlee Grace and to Grayson. And, uh, uh, and, and have a special prayer uh, for you guys and encourage you to plant the seed uh, into their hearts early and continually and consistently and it really will make a difference in their lives. And so we're looking forward to this next generation and how, how God's going to bless the kingdom through this church and through your family. Let's, let's have a word of prayer. Father in heaven, I thank you so much for Warren and Ken and their families, and I ask your blessings upon them as they raise uh, Adelaide and Grayson, and I ask, Father, that you give them wisdom and discernment, and that I know you will use them to plant the seed of your word deep into the hearts of these little ones. And we, Father, ask that you keep the evil one away from them, and we ask that you give them strength in tough times and blessings, Father, and a house full of joy you'll watch over this family and their extended family and uh, uh, not only these parents but grandparents and cousins and all people uh, in this family please love you. we love you in Jesus name we pray may blessings be upon the precious baby may favor rest upon your
Would you stand? We're going to continue our worship this morning. These are the days of Elijah, declaring the word of the Lord. And these are the days of his servant, Moses' righteousness being restored. And though these are days of great trials, of famine and darkness and sore, still we are the voice in the desert, crying, preparing the way of the Lord. Behold, He comes, light on clouds, shining like the sun, at traffic calls, so lift your voice, but to hear out to believe. Thank you. 
Jump in there. We're going to sing the next song we're going to do. We're going to start with just the ladies, just sopranos and altos. And you 
can really hear those parts going on. There's going to be a higher ladies part. There's going to be a lower ladies part. Okay, please, everybody sing. Every lady. I want every lady singing. Okay? You can either sing the high one or sing the low one. Then we're going to add this part over here. That's the high guys part. Try it out, guys. If you're a bass, try it out. It's not going to hurt anything. If that doesn't work out for you, we're going to add the low part last. Jump in there next if the first one didn't work for you. Okay? Let's try it out.
this past Friday was the 70th anniversary of D-Day and I was quite surprised to see how many people were still living that participated in that event. Having never served, I can only imagine the fear that those people went through, those young men who 18, 19 to 20 years old must have experienced, must have felt to have to go there and many of them getting out of the boat seeing their own comrades already passed away. We tend to memorialize certain things, don't we? And memorials are very important. 
Many of you have lost loved ones, I'm sure. And what do you always go to the graveyard to see? Not that little speck of dirt, but what? The tombstone, that reminder of someone that you love very much, someone who's very dear to you. Had the chance a few years ago to go to New York as they were building the 9-11 memorial where they took the foundations of those two buildings and it's uh, quite large and you can see the water falling over it and around the perimeter there's these bronze plates I guess you'd call them and you'll see people much like the veterans memorial they'll take a piece of paper and a pencil and they're scratching away why because that's a son or a daughter that they cared for very much and they're loved we have a memorial before us here this morning in the Lord's Supper of how much he loved us 160-something uh, thousand, I forget the number, participated in D-Day and died, or, or, or participated in that event for our freedom. And yet this one man, God, died for all of us, for the entire world, so that we could be saved, and so that we could be a part of this family. And take it from me as an old country hick that grew up in a very small church, this is, this is a lot of people. I've had the opportunity to preach a few times, but I've never had this many eyeballs looking at me this morning. It's a lot. But oftentimes what we were, well, what, in that group, we often didn't feel what I feel here. Uh, we have passed up an opportunity to go back to Florida to be here, and you're the reason why. Because trust me, folks, you can't get this anywhere else, and you know that. And I know it now firsthand. And so as we consider this body that was broken for us, this blood shed for us, think about this body here. Paul says, as it reminds the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, I had the privilege of studying under Bill Smith in preaching school here, and he called Corinthians the book of problems. Right, Bill? I've still got my old notes somewhere. And one of their problems was the misunderstanding of each other at the Lord's Supper. And so he writes this, I have received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so it's a reminder to us, a memorial of what God done for us, memorial rather, of what God has done for us so that we can enjoy this privilege of being called his family. Let's pray together. We thank you, Father for all that you've done for us, for the willingness to offer up your son for us to be a part of the forever family. Help us, Father, to examine not only what he's done for us, but each other as we go through this service and as we are reminded again of how much you love us. In Christ we pray. Amen.
Let's pray again. Our fathers, we come before you. We're reminded of these emblems that you've given us as we look to your son's body broken and that blood poured out for us in order that we might be your family and to have the opportunity to be with you forever. Help us examine, Father, that broken body and apply it to a healing of our body. And we thank you again for loving us, being patient with us, and giving us all we have. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. time now, though it's not a part of the Lord's Supper, it's instituted in the Bible, it's a, a good time for us to give back. When uh, my dad passed away last month, I got an opportunity to go through some of his old stuff, and he was a pack rat and saved everything. And I found a copy of the 1969 World Radio News about how he had talked and, and came over here, and uh, people like Carl Allison and Alton Howard and Bill Smith had helped him out. I don't remember that. But I know he did, and he was eternally grateful for that. And he talked about it often. This is kind of where he got his start. He did, went to school at Sunset because the school here had not been set up yet. But a lot of people uh, from this congregation had a lot to do with him going there. It's a time for us to give back as well. We've been blessed so much. I know when we lived in Portugal, maybe it's different now, but 
for a lot of people back then, they were so poor that a new house for them often meant a new box if they could go somewhere and find it. Or a small campfire in the middle of nowhere in a garbage dump. That was, how, that was for them home. And we are really blessed. But think about that and how many people that you influenced by helping Daddy in a small congregation of Barrero, Portugal that are still there. And the work continues and goes on. And of course it takes money to do that. Prayer's good and it's needed. But it takes dollars too, doesn't it? And this is our opportunity to give back. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for looking down upon us and blessing us so richly. As we examine our own lives, Father, we ask that you prick our hearts and that we will give back to you what's rightfully yours. In Jesus' name, amen.
Good morning. Well, it's so good to see so many of you, a lot of new faces and a lot of new visitors. Also, some familiar faces we hadn't seen in a while. I just said hi to uh, uh, Dorothy Minor. You know, Hugh Minor was an elder here and encouraged us. Dorothy is here today. She's back there. Miss Dorothy, just raise your hand. There you go. She's back. And good to have you, Dorothy. Glad you're here. Another familiar face, Tim Jennings is back there with her, so a lot of folks uh, uh, remember some people from our past. We're so grateful that you've uh, come, come our way again. It's good to have you. Well, uh, I've been doing a little traveling recently, and uh, first, my first little effort was up in, uh, Raven in, up in north, north of Raven Springs, Arkansas. I'm sure you know where that is. And just uh, up in the hills and uh, preached up there. And, uh, of course, it was great because we almost doubled the size of the congregation just by going, you know. Uh, it's a little church my brother kind of uh, takes care of up there. But the, the neat thing about it was we went down to old James Creek and baptized my niece that Sunday. So it was worth the trip. Wasn't that great? And then, uh, then went Josh and I, my son, drove out to Tuba City, Arizona. And I uh, just wanted to bring you greetings from that church. Uh, preached there last Sunday. We've supported that work. You remember through Paul and Angie for many years. And uh, one of the young men that was raised, a Navajo man, was raised in that church by Paul and trained. Has now moved back there to take that work. Uh, Eric uh, Key and Eric is, and his wife Tracy are really doing a great job. They're just getting settled in. Already have groups coming in. And they uh, said to tell you thank you for the support and be sure and remember them in your prayers. And so they're excited about the work there. And so I just wanted to kind of give you a, a quick update because so many of you have invested time and, and money and effort and prayers into that work. And uh, Ann is going out there in July to be with them and to encourage them. And so uh, uh, just uh, keep remembering that, that work in your prayers if you would. Well, I've entitled this one. It's time for a holdup. A man who had spent 20 years in prison for bank robbery didn't learn his lesson. He gets out and he tries it again. And when he goes in to rob this bank, he uh, doesn't even bring anything to carry the money in. You know, he just goes in, he, he, he gets all the money, and he just starts putting it all in his pocket, and he turns around to run out. Well, you know, money's falling out everywhere, obviously. He's the bank robber. He gets out to his getaway car, and when he starts to get in it, he's locked the keys in the car. Well, he sees that's not going to work, you know, and so he turns around, he starts to take off, and a couple of people uh, uh, grab him to hold him back, and so he's going to pull his gun, and he's got his gun in his, in his britches. When he pulls his gun out, he shoots himself in the leg. Not very successful, in his endeavor, only all that to simply go back to prison. Or you could be like this young man named Rocky Fisher. He was 35 years old. And I don't know if you can tell on his T-shirt, he robbed a bank and didn't quite get away with it. And when they arrested him, he had a T-shirt on that said, it's all fun and games until the cops show up. Well, believe it or not, there are a couple of other people that weren't quite successful in their holdup either. They were going to disguise themselves, so they used a permanent magic marker, <laughs> which they could not get off their face for some time. Well, 
there are a lot of hold-ups and there are a lot of, you know, a lot of mess-ups in hold-ups. That's usually what we think about when we think of the word hold-up. Today, we're going to think about something totally different. Holding up. Putting someone up there. We're going to talk about holding up your brother. Later on, we're going to talk about holding up your God and holding up your gospel. But let's look at this thing about holding somebody up, especially a brother. In, uh, uh, in Acts chapter 9, we, uh, uh, I want to read this little section. And you remember there's a guy who comes on the scene. We've already talked about here in the book of Acts. He's preaching the gospel. And his name is Saul. You remember old Saul went around uh, persecuting Christians, killing Christians. And now all of a sudden he has this great conversion experience. And he's baptized into Christ, and now he turns all his passion into, into converting people to Christ. Instead of persecuting now, he's converting people. Well, you know, when you hear of that, you wonder about a guy like that. And so all these uh, brothers in Jerusalem, they're a little bit scared of him. So he really needs somebody to hold him up. So here's what happens in Acts chapter 9, verse 26. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. And he told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord, and the Lord had spoken to him, and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. And he talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews but they tried to kill him. And when the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Here's a brother. He was converted. He was trained. And all of a sudden, he's out preaching the gospel. And the other brothers are all scared of him because he used to be one that persecuted folks. And so what did he need? He needed a Barnabas. He needed a brother to come in there beside him and take him to the other brother and say, Look, this guy's good. This guy's on our side now. He really is. I mean, his testimony of how he was converted and, and what he's doing for the Lord now, it's really who he is. And so Barnabas holds him up to the other brothers. And that meant a world to Saul, later called Paul. And sometimes we need people to hold us up when we're out there trying to live right and do right. Especially when we've come out of a situation where our reputation is bad and, we, and we, we don't have any credibility with folks yet and those kinds of things, we need people to hold us up. I'll tell you what, it makes a world of difference when someone that you know is strong in the Lord will lift up your life and your name to the brothers and say, look, he really is faithful to the Lord. You know, that's one of the things I love about responses in our church it's not just that someone repents of a sin. It's not just that someone has come down for help and prayers. But when someone responds publicly and, they, and their reputation has, has not been good, all of a sudden that allows leadership and others to get behind them, to hold them up to the brother and say, look, he, he made a response. He's trying to live right and we can help encourage somebody then. That's a good thing. I appreciate uh, uh, all, the, uh, all the phone calls and, and letters and things we get, just, uh, Trent and I, just about many of you praying for us, holding us up. It means a lot, doesn't it, Trent? Uh, I'm, and I was thinking about old Phil back there, Phil out there preaching the gospel. Brother, we're going to hold you up. Is that all right? We're going to hold you up. 
Because I'm telling you, when you're out there preaching, you're out in the world teaching, you're going to get some criticism. You're going to get some hard words said about you. And it can be a discouraging thing. I want you to know we're behind you out there, Phil. Let's keep on preaching, brother. Keep on preaching. We appreciate you. But you know what? Not only did he speak up for him, there's another little story in Acts chapter 12 about old Peter. We've talked a lot about him recently. And he gets prayed up. Old Randall comes down every time I'm preaching, hugs my neck and says, you know you're prayed up this morning. I said, I appreciate it, brother. And I do. It means a lot to think that someone out loud spoke my name before deity. That's a pretty neat thing, you know? Well, in this story... Peter has been uh, getting hammered for preaching the good news of Jesus. The Bible says, so Peter was kept in prison. But the church was earnestly praying to God for him, and the night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, sentry stood guard at the entrance. Now, did you get that, by the way? He's in jail, and what's the brothers are doing? You, you say it out loud in here. What's the brothers doing? They're praying for him. Okay, let's get that down. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in his cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Get, quick, get up, he said. The chains fell off Peter's wrist. The angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. And Peter followed him out of the prison. But he had no idea what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed by the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened by itself. I, I like that. And they went through it. And when they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked on the outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. And when she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter's at the door. Now get this. Notice their response. Now look here. Now think about it now. Peter's in jail, they're praying. Lord, help old Peter, get him out of jail, take care of him. He, the Lord's, doing, do, Lord's hearing him, he does this great miraculous thing, he, get, he gets Peter out, they're praying, Lord, we want you to take care of Peter, rescue him. Peter goes, knocks on the door, Rhoda hears his voice, doesn't even open it up, runs back in and says, it's Peter, and they said, oh yeah, like, you're crazy. Lord, deliver Peter, got it? <laughs> Now, is that kind of the way we pray sometimes? You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, I'm, I'm, I'm picturing Peter out there going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, I'm sitting out here, guys, you know. It must be his angel, they said. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. And Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet, and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said. And then he left for another place. 
They're praying for Peter. He's in jail. He's delivered. God answers their prayer. And when they do, they can't even hardly believe it. They're astonished. Must be an angel. No, it really was him. God really heard his prayer. I mean, how much convincing do we need that God hears our prayers? Now, it's not, it's not like we're praying to God. It's not like God's a great big vending machine in the sky. Give me this, give me this. I punch the right button, and all of a sudden I've asked for this, and God throws it down to me. It's not that way. Look, they're gathered up. The church has been under persecution. They're praying not, not for themselves. They're praying for him. They're lifting Peter up, and God does a magnificent thing because of their prayers. The book of James says, sometimes you have not because you ask not. There are actually things that do not take place that would because we didn't say, God, make that happen. How dare us not take everything to God in prayer? We need to understand that there is a power available to us as God's people that when we ask God to bring about a deliverance, God can bring it about. And that when we take it serious that we're bringing something up to God, we hold the brothers up there, God can do great things. And I want to tell you, we need to hold some of the brothers up. we got brothers in parts of the world that are going through some terribly hard times preaching the gospel. We need to hold them up by name and ask God for deliverance and not be so astonished when God brings about the answer to the prayer. Amen? A praying church is what we have to be. It's the exercise spiritually that keeps us strong. It's an acknowledgement that we're not in control, that God is. It's saying we know you can do great things, and God, we're asking. Not because we deserve to ask, we're asking because Jesus died for us so we could ask. And we're going to have great things happen because the church goes to God in prayer. Hold up your brother and your sister in prayer. When people want respond on Sunday morning, come down here sit on the front row, and we say pray for them. We really meant pray for them. By name, by situation, ask God to lift them up. It's so easy just to say, hey, I'll be praying for you, brother. Really? When are you going to do that? What time of day are you praying for me? I'd like to know that. Would you pray for my family? Here are their names. Could you lift those up? Hold up your brother in prayer. Hold up your God and give him glory. It's not, the, it's not about God needing held up. It's about our acknowledgement. Look here in the last part of that chapter 12 we were in. Oh, Herod, he comes out to give a little lesson. The Bible says in Acts chapter 12, verse 21, On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robe, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. He's high and mighty, and he's delivering this speech. And they shouted, This is the voice of a God, not a man. And immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms and died fish food just like that why 
because when they said this must be a God, he didn't immediately say, no, 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 I'm not God, and give God praise. He didn't do it. He took it for himself. And his pride was his destruction. Now just the opposite happens over here in chapter 14. You remember there's a healing takes place with, with uh, Saul and these guys. And so uh, uh, after that, there were a, a whole crowd of people gather up and say, Hey, they must be gods. They must be gods. But when the apostles, verse 14 of chapter 14, when the apostles Barnabas and uh, uh, Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes, they rushed into the crowd shouting, Friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human like you. We are bringing you good news telling you to turn from the worthless things to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all the nations go their way, yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain and from heaven and crops in their season. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your heart with joy. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. So they're out here preaching the gospel. They're doing great things. And all of a sudden, these crowd gets up and they want to call them gods. And they tear their clothes. They said, no way. We're taking credit for God. We are not God. We're mere human beings. We're just regular folks. But we have, do have a great story to tell you about that God. That God that created everything you see. And everything in it. That God, the one that sends you rain and produces your crop, feeds you every day, I've got some good news to tell you about that God and what he's done for you. His son came to this earth to die for you. His son was buried for you. His son was raised on the third day. And the grave is empty. And you can have a resurrection too. And his son went back to heaven to help you in life. And one day he's going to come back again. And so this is the kind of God you need to serve. That's the message that he was going around preaching. The good news of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that powerful message that changed people's hearts. So they responded the right way. Instead of taking credit, they tore their clothes and told the story of God. And said, you hold your God up, not yourselves. Whatever we do as a church... We must always do with humility, understanding that whatever is accomplished for the kingdom, God gets the glory. And I, well, I have people sometimes come in and I say, man, boy, Mike, your church has done a lot of great things in this part of the world. Or you did a lot of great things in this neighborhood. Or, or y'all are doing a lot of good stuff. And, and, and I really try to remind myself every time to say, no, God's doing that. We just get to be a part of it. We're just riding the wave of whatever God's activities taking on right now. You understand? God gets the glory. We're not special. We're special that he died for us, but we're not special agents that are making, somehow or another, making the kingdom do great things. God does that. God gets the glory. We get to be a part of it. That's great, but God gets the glory. We can never become a church that somehow or another thinks we're better than everybody else. We can't do that. We cannot do that. We don't have all the answers. We have our own sinfulness, our own mess-ups, our own struggles. We fight them every day. We help each other with them every day. And we still try to live for God. And in the end, God still makes things happen. And that's why you always know God gets the glory. Because who would have ever picked us but God? 
tell his story and give him glory. Then the last thing, just to remind us, to hold up your gospel. And I worded that that way on purpose, your gospel, because the story of Jesus, when you become a Christian, becomes your story. It's your gospel. It's your good news. It's my good news. It's personal. Belongs to me. Because God loved me so much that he sent his son to die for me. That's why when we share this story, we'll always do it in a spirit of love. What's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. So our goal is to always preach this greatest message, the gospel, in the spirit of the greatest command, love. That means we don't mistreat people. We don't hurt people. But we speak a message that will be hard for many to hear, but we do it in a spirit of of love we love everybody and God will never ask you to show more grace to people than he's already shown to you think about that but when we do when we preach this message boldly some in the world will always be critical they'll write or say a few bad things about you won't they Phil I mean, the world, they're, they're not exactly excited sometimes about the good news like we are. And so they'll be critical. And in spite of criticism, we still preach the gospel in love. And look how far the criticism, what it did to, uh, uh, to Saul and them. In chapter 22, verse 22, and, and Paul been preaching the gospel. The crowd listened to Paul until he said this. Then they raised their voices and shouted, Rid the earth of him. He's not fit to live. And men will say that about us when we consistently and boldly preach the gospel. But you know what? We're going to keep on loving them and we're going to keep on preaching the gospel. In Acts 23, the following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, Take courage. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. So in the middle of all this criticism and all this even trying to kill him and take his life and men saying you ain't fit to live what did God do God stood beside him and said I'm, hey, look, forget what they said you take courage because you're going to take this story to a whole other city here we go again and we're going to keep on taking that story city after city after city no matter what the criticisms come our way no matter what evil people say against us no matter what religious people say against us which by the way was most of his criticism came from religious people you understand it doesn't matter we're going to speak the word of the gospel and the story of the death, burial, and resurrection we're going to preach it with power we're going to preach it with enthusiasm we're going to preach it with conviction we're going to preach it when they love us we're going to preach it when they don't love us we're going to preach it in our own hometown we're going to preach it to our home families we're going to preach it to our sons and our daughters we're going to preach it to the people we're in business with we're going to preach it around the world we're going to preach it in the Twin Cities but we're going to keep on preaching the gospel Amen
It's the one thing that makes a difference in someone's life. The story of how much God loved me and the grace that he's given me through Jesus Christ. Why wouldn't you want in on that? That's what our invitation's about. I say it's time to get all in. If you've been critical of the brothers, if you use your mouth in a negative way, I say repent of that and hold the brothers up. Hold them up with your words and hold them up with your prayers. If pride's been in the way, get it out of the way and hold God up and give him the glory for what takes place in your life and in my life and in this church. And if there are lost people around you, then hold up the gospel in a spirit of love and in spite of the criticism that comes. And then sit back and watch what God does because it's an adventure to watch him work. If you ever need to get in on this gospel, that's what our invitation is for as we stand and as we sing. Amen.